Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, cuz. Welcome to the next episode of How Good It Is, the show that gives you the story behind the songs. And today we're going to meet with one fine girl. How good it is. Hi there. I'm Claude Call. And as usual, I have a little trivia for ye right here. And today I simply want you to tell me who Peter James Reinhardt was and what's his connection to rock and roll. That's it. Peter James Reinhardt. Who was he? What's his connection to rock and roll? I will have that answer for you near the end of the show. Looking Glass was a band that formed in 1969 at Rutgers University in New Jersey. At that time, the band's lineup was a singer-guitarist, Elliot Lurie, uh, bassist Peter Swavel, and Larry Gonski was on keyboards. A little while later, Jeff Grob uh, joined the group as a drummer, and they managed to build up a pretty decent following playing local bars and fraternity parties in the New York, New Jersey area, and even as far west as Lehigh University in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Their sound would have been described then as a Jersey Shore brand of rock. As the story goes, one fine evening, the four of them were sitting in Lurie's 1965 Chevy Supersport convertible. And according to Lurie, they were imbibing something or other, and they were trying to think up a name for the band. He said in an interview with Culture Sonar, We were looking in the rearview mirror, and we thought, what's another way to say mirror? Well, Looking Glass would be another way, and it was the 1960s, and that had some kind of psychedelic overtones. What also attracted them to the name Looking Glass was that they viewed themselves as ordinary guys, and they thought they were sort of a reflection of whomever might be listening to them. And like most bands starting out, they played a lot of covers and would occasionally slip in an original song, which was more or less tolerated because by that point, they had a little bit of a following. Once they finished college, they knew then that they wanted to pursue music as a career, but they had to talk their parents into it. But convince them they did, and they all moved into an old farmhouse in Hunterdon County, New Jersey, which is much more rural than anything you might have in your head when you hear the words New Jersey. Now, by this point, Lurie's technique for writing songs basically involved playing a chord sequence or a melody that he kind of liked and then seeing where it would go. And on this particular day in the early 70s, Lurie had something he was working on involving a story about a barmaid pining away for a sailor who frankly does not reciprocate his feelings toward her. That barmaid was named Randy, which was spelled R-A-N-D-Y-E. That name came from an old girlfriend that Lori had in high school. But at some point, he became dissatisfied with that name, since from a phonics standpoint, Randy can be either a male or a female name. So, drawing on the fact that the girl in the song works in a bar, Lori decided that changing her name to Brandy was only reasonable. At some point, Looking Glass caught the attention of Clive Davis, who was the president of Columbia Records at the time. 
Davis set up a showcase gig for the band at the Cafe Ogogo in Manhattan. Uh, they were opening for Buddy Guy. And based on that performance, Davis signed the band to Columbia's Epic label. Over the next few months, the band put together their debut album, which consisted of eight tracks, including Brandy. Four of the tracks were written and had lead vocals by Lurie, and the other four were written and sung by Peter Swevel. Now, you'd think that Brandy would be the first single because it's such a good tune, but you would be wrong. For a couple of reasons. First, nobody in the band thought of it as a potential hit, and second, the song was a departure from their usual sound. So the first single was the one you're hearing now called Don't It Make You Feel Good. Now this song is more typical of their sound, and unfortunately, eh, nobody bought it, and that was pretty much that. Until a promotions man at Epic named Robert Mandel talked to a DJ at WPGC in the Washington, D.C. area to listen to Brandy off a test press of the album. Now, according to Lurie, Mandel went to disc jockey Harv Moore and said, have you heard this looking glass thing? And Moore said, yeah, but it's not really happening. But Moore was talking about the single, so Mandel convinced him to listen to the rest of the album. Moore listened and he liked Brandy. In fact, he liked it a lot. He liked it so much that he had to put into regular rotation on WPGC, and every time he played it, it got a lot of phone calls. So, Epic finally released Brandy as a single, and the rest, as they say, is history. Brandy spent 16 weeks in the number one slot on the Billboard Hot 100, and it was also a top 10 record in Australia and in New Zealand. In the UK, didn't even crack the top 50, peaking at number 51. All right, let me get a couple of stories out of the way. I know that there have been many times when I've, when I've told you the story of the B-side becoming the song that pushes to the top of the charts, and that story is floating around on Brandy as well. The story goes that Brandy was the B-side of Don't It Make You Feel Good. But I did a bunch of research on this, and so far as I can tell, the B-side of that track has always been the song Catherine Street. Likewise, the B-side of Brandy has always been One by One, although there are later issues which use Golden Rainbow as the B. As far as I can tell, the two songs have never appeared back-to-back -back on a 45. The other fake story circulating about the song is that it was inspired by a spinster who lived in New Brunswick, that's where Rutgers University is located, her name was Mary Ellis, and local legend has it that Ellis was seduced by a sea captain who vowed to return from his journeys to marry her. Supposedly, Ellis would look out over the Raritan River in New Brunswick, awaiting his return, which never did happen. Luria said categorically that this story, whether it's true or not, has nothing to do with his song. Okay, we've done away with the legends. Here are some actual facts. 
The song Brandy actually had an impact on the popularity of the girl's name Brandy. In 1971, according to the Social Security Administration, Brandy was the 353rd most popular girl's name in the United States. In 1972, when the song was released, it jumped to 140th most popular. And remember, the song was released mid-year. By 1973, it was up to number 82. Now, Brandy by Looking Glass was released in May of 1972, but in February, a different song with the same title was released by a musician named Scott English. As far as I know, this track didn't do much of anything, but given that they were a few months apart, I don't think Looking Glass eclipsed it or anything like that. If anything, I think Scott English had some very local followings out in California and in the Pittsburgh area, and it just didn't translate to larger success. However, in 1974, Barry Manilow decided to cover Scott English's song. By that point, there was no sense in calling it Brandy, so to avoid confusion, he changed it to Mandy. As far as covers of the Looking Glass uh, song go, well, there are a few out there, including one by the Red Hot Chili Peppers that's worth looking into. But what I really want to call your attention to is this track. This is called Same Old 45 by Sarah Borges, and it's on her 2005 album, Silver City. And to some people, it's basically the same story as Brandy, except that it's told from Brandy's point of view. For my money, though, I've done a little bit of a close listen on it. I think it's more like about a woman who is in a similar situation and considers herself to be in the same position as Brandy, so she winds up playing the record to herself over and over again. And now it's time to answer today's trivia question. Back on page two, I asked you about Peter James Reinhardt and his connection to rock and roll. Here's the answer. Sergeant Peter James Reinhardt was stationed in Korea in the demilitarized zone in the 1960s. 
Based on the patches on his coat, we know he was in the 2nd Infantry and he was part of the Indian Scout Regiment in the DMZ. After his discharge, he worked for Delta Airlines and as a result, he was able to fly around for free a lot. One time, while en route to see his mother, he was on a layover in a German airport when he bumped into John Lennon, who was also on a layover at the time. The two got to talking, and because Lennon was wearing an American Army surplus raincoat, Reinhardt asked Lennon if he wanted some of his old uniform clothes, since Reinhardt didn't think much of the one that Lennon was already wearing. Well, it turned out that they were on the same flight together, and they spent it chatting with each other. At the end of the flight, Lennon gave Reinhardt some signed stick figure drawings that he had doodled on the plane. Not long after that, Lennon received a whole bunch of clothes in the mail, and it's Reinhardt's jacket that we see John Lennon wearing frequently in the early and mid-1970s, including during the New York City concert and while he's appearing on The Dick Cavett Show, where he tells the story of the jacket, but in characteristic Lennon style, he has some of the details a bit muddled by suggesting that Reinhardt had been in Vietnam. Reinhardt, for his part, eventually sold those drawings in the 1980s when he was having a tough time financially, and he died in 2007. And that, my friend, is a full lid on another edition of How Good It Is. If you're enjoying the show, please take the time to share it with someone and maybe even leave a rating, or better yet, a review somewhere. And now you can support the show over at patreon.com slash howgooditis. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can email me at howgoodpodcast at gmail.com or you can follow the show on Twitter or Instagram at howgooditis. You can also visit, like, and follow the show's Facebook page at facebook.com slash how, how good it is pod or you can check out the show's website howgooditis.com where you might find a few extra bits thank you so much for listening I'll talk to you next time how good it is pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks oh yeah that's me nothing extra just perfection and a straw coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.